Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online or later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying that you would experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. We're learning to live like Jesus, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too. So I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Welcome to our series on the book of Jonah, Life Interrupted, Reluctant Prophet, Relentless God. Now, what is the first image that pops into your mind when you think about the book of Jonah? Whales. Nah, whales, right, the whale. But believe it or not, the whale, although he's the biggest thing in the story, he's not the main point of the story. In fact, give or take, depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, the great fish is mentioned only four times. Uh, city of Nineveh, nine times. Uh, Jonah, 18 times. But God is mentioned 38 times. So although the whale gets the spotlight, it is God's relentless love that is the focus of this story. Now, in his relentless love for humanity, it is God's desire to use his people to help others come to know him intimately, even our enemies. Now, here at Dayspring, we just finished a series about how to share the truth of Jesus with others. And the series gave us tools to start and guide conversations that help others to consider beginning a journey of faith, a journey to know and understand God's relentless love intimately. Now, you can go to our website and watch the series if you missed that. Now, this week, we begin looking at the story of a prophet who decided not to obey God's instructions and the journey that that decision takes him on. What we'll discover in this series is how Jonah responded to God's will when he was told to deliver a message of God's love to the people that he hated. 
much like the whale in the story of Jonah, a circumstance or challenge or even another person can become all-consuming, that it can be the all-consuming focus in our story when actually God should be the focus. The story God is writing in our lives is bigger than any current or past circumstance or person that we might be prone to focus on. There is so much more. Now, before we begin, would you pray with me as we look to the Lord for what he has for us to learn in this series, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, what a gracious God you are, that, that your love is in fact relentless, that you go after us in the hard places. You go after us when we're doing our own thing and carving our own path. And so God, as we begin the book of Jonah today, I pray that each one of us would recognize the character we may be representing in this story and that you would work in us to grow us and help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, the book of Jonah and is, is not like the other books of the prophets. They're generally a collection of God's words spoken uh, through prophets to warn a leader or a nation of the impending consequences if they don't turn from their sin and back to God. But the book of Jonah focuses less on what God told Jonah to say and more on Jonah's attitude toward God regarding what he's supposed to say. Now, Jonah's only mentioned one other time in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings 14, 23 through 25, uh, Jonah tells one of Israel's worst kings, Jeroboam II, that he would win a battle and regain territory on Israel's northern border. But in the book of Amos, the prophet Amos actually says that the opposite is going to happen. Amos confronts the wicked Jeroboam II and tells him that because of his sin, he will in fact lose said territories. So right away, we wonder why Jonah would give this wicked king a positive report when in fact it wasn't true. Now, historically, the most common reasons that prophets gave positive reports to an authority was to save their own skin. But we don't know that for sure because Scripture does not say. The book of Jonah tells a story with several unexpected outcomes. In, in fact, we see the exact opposite of what we would expect. The person we expect to follow and obey God doesn't. And those we expect to reject God surprisingly move toward him. Even the most powerful, wicked king on earth humbles himself and turns to God. Now, after a series of spectacular events, including a storm and the big fish, and we'll eventually see a half-hearted attempt at repentance from Jonah, who is frustrated because God is too merciful and kind. So the man of God isn't as much a man of God as we would have expected, and the pagans in the story remind us that no one is beyond God's relentless love. So let's dive into the book of Jonah, beginning with chapter 1, verse 1. Now you can use your Bible, your app, or you can follow along with us on the screens if you would like. So Jonah chapter 1, we'll start with verse 1. The Lord gave Jonah this message. 
the Lord gave this message to Jonah, uh, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish and he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to to Tarshish. So just as a reminder, Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel and his priorities would have included listening to God and then declaring God's message to his people no matter what the message was. But God interrupts Jonah's life with a completely unexpected assignment, and he tells him to go to Nineveh, which is in Assyria, not Israel, and Jonah is directed to deliver a message of judgment and call the Ninevites to repentance and a relationship with God. But Jonah decides to run in the opposite direction, hence the reluctant prophet. Now, it might kind of feel like we're throwing Jonah on the bus in this series, and well, Actually, we are. Uh, But before we criticize Jonah too harshly, let's keep an eye on our own lives and how reluctant we may be in obeying God's will at any given time. I mean, let's remember how we react when God interrupts our plans, our lives, so that he can do something new in us and through us. I mean, I think we can all say to some degree that we prefer not to be interrupted, especially when we're on a roll and a project or life is going along quite well and thank you very much. Or we can be on vacation and we just need a break. How about the one morning that you don't have to set your alarm and someone calls you at 5.30 a.m. for something that's definitely not an emergency? Now, I know you would say turn off your phone. Um, I actually do have my phone off, but my kids, my sisters, and of course, Pastor Chris, um, get through in case of an emergency. (laughs) You know, and I have to say, my family has a history of experiencing life in a way that gives us the opportunity to trust Jesus. And so, I'm available to them 24-7. Now, sometimes I would just love to lock myself in my sewing room and have meals delivered to the door until I want to emerge. But uninterrupted sewing time only happens on very rare occasions, and I definitely don't want to be disrupted. And so to make matters worse, nobody brings meals up to me when I'm doing that. And several of our vacations have been interrupted by one crisis or another. In fact, it actually takes me a few days to settle into a vacation because I'm a little gun shy of what might be happening while we're gone. Now, interruptions such as loss of a loved one, an unexpected illness, or any other really hard thing that requires a shift in our mindset or schedule, uh, priorities, or life isn't something that we generally are grateful for at the time. Interruptions are generally viewed as being negative. I mean, why is this happening? When will it end? When can I get back to my scheduled, planned life? How are we going to afford this? An interruption only becomes a positive thing or something we are willing to accept when we consider the person 
or the circumstance involved to be more important than what we are currently focused on. They only become positive when we make God's will for our lives the ultimate priority, the most important thing. And that's when we can view an interruption as an opportunity to allow God to grow us through the journey. Interruptions are positive when we see them as an opportunity to grow our faith muscles. It appears that Jonah was living in a season of blessing. He was doing well financially. King Jeroboam II had secured Israel's borders, so the nation seemed safe and secure, at least for the time being. Things were good for Jonah. He was comfortable. And Jonah's first challenge was being interrupted in the midst of his comfort. The next obstacle for him was that he was being sent to deliver a message from God, which probably wasn't the hard part. Jonah's challenge was who he was delivering the message to. To say that Jonah disliked Nineveh is an understatement. The term enemy would be more accurate. Nineveh was a capital city of the Assyrian Empire, an enemy nation. And why on earth would Jonah want to disrupt his life to go and warn a people who had basically brutalized Israel? Why would he want to help his enemies turn to the Lord? Certainly they didn't deserve this opportunity after the savage atrocities that they had bestowed on Israel. And I would imagine that the anger and indignation that rose up in Jonah's heart was significant. Nevertheless, these are the people that God told Jonah to warn. God was giving these undeserving enemies an opportunity to turn away from their wicked ways and turn to the Lord. Now, have you ever struggled or to have the desire for someone who hurt you deeply or hurt those you love to be forgiven by God? I mean, maybe the thought is more like, smite them, Lord. They deserve it. I've, I've been there. But maybe you're more spiritual and it's, Lord, bless their heart. Bring about your holy wrath and discipline on your wayward child. Like I said, I've been there. And then I had to come back to reality, the reality that I am that person. I am Nineveh. I have hurt others. I have sinned greatly. I don't deserve God's forgiveness. Because, and it's only because of his relentless love that he gave it to me, freely. And at the risk of offending you, you are Nineveh too. We don't think of ourselves as wicked. Instead, we play the comparison game. We're certainly not as bad as that other person. But Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that every human heart, every human heart is desperately wicked. And yet God offers forgiveness freely to you and to me, just as he did the Ninevites. That's what relentless love does. It doesn't matter what we've done. Uh, we have the opportunity to repent of our past life and have a new life through a relationship with Jesus. We have the opportunity to ask for forgiveness and change from who we were or are currently into someone who thinks like, acts like, 
is like Jesus. And in these first few verses, we can see that Jonah has some issues with God's instructions. I mean, his attitude toward the will of God is way off base. He would rather see the enemy destroyed than for them to have the opportunity to repent. He would rather see them abandoned to their own darkness and spiritual death than help them find their own, help them find their way to the true living God. Jonah forgot that the will of God is an expression of God's love. God loves Jonah and God loves the Ninevites. Jonah had a wrong attitude toward the, the word of God. He forgot the great privilege that he had in speaking for God. And it, it seems like Jonah was thinking, oh, I can take it or leave it. When in fact it was an instruction, not just a suggestion from God. Uh, Luke 6, 46 says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? You know, when we find ourselves resisting God's instruction, it's an indication of the importance that we place on God's will in our lives. So let's look at a passage from the New Testament in the book of 1 John for a little more insight here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Now, when we're out of line with God, Jesus provides a way for us to get in line with God. And Scripture tells us that being in line with God is the proof in the pudding of our love for the Lord. Verse 3 goes on to say, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar, not knowing the truth. But those who obey God's word and truly show how completely they love him, that is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, I also find it a bit comical that jo Jonah chooses to run the farthest option available in the opposite direction. Uh, as if. You know, I mean, it's dealing with God here, right? So as if, if God isn't there in the farthest place. And as a prophet, God knew that Jonah is omnipresent, meaning everywhere at all times. Yet he ran as if being farther away from the situation uh, uh, makes disobedience less of an issue. You know, the farther away from ourselves and from God, we seem to be of the mindset that the farther I go, the less he's going to notice. Now, surely God won't follow me this far. I mean, out of sight, out of mind, right? Except that God is everywhere at all times. And Jonah was not only running from Nineveh. He was attempting to run from God. But Scripture tells us that we are never out of God's presence. In Psalm 139, he says, I can, we, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. 
And like Jonah, we tend to distance ourselves from God when we are out of line with his will in our lives or when we are not making Jesus a priority in our lives. When we find ourselves opposing God's God or his will, it's a clear indication that we have moved away from or are moving away from intimacy with God. Usually when we find ourselves off track, it's because we have removed God from his rightful first place in our lives, or maybe we've never put God first in our lives. We have allowed other things to become more important. You know, those other things could be a relationship, especially an unhealthy relationship. It could be a behavior or an attitude or succumbing to a familiar temptation. It could be that our feelings got hurt and so we decided to blame God for that whole situation. And there's only one solution for this problem. Put God in his rightful place in your life. Do whatever it takes to make him first. When you get near to him, he gets nearer to you. God's nearness is the most comforting experience available to mankind. But it can be challenging too. Paula Shera writes, Knowledge of God's nearness can be most comforting to anyone seeking an intimate relationship with him, and yet it can be the most burdensome reminder for those who is seeking to avoid his direction and correction. Let's pick it up in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was asleep down in the hold. Now, Jonah disobeyed God and God has showed up. He showed up in a way, a powerful, violent storm that is surely going to destroy Jonah as well of the sailors, as well as the sailors who are with him. And Jonah's no longer hearing the word of God, but he's sure experiencing God's presence and God's power. God's like that. I mean, he will use whatever means necessary to get our attention. It's usually a lot more pleasant to hear and obey on that first go around than to wait and see just how important our obedience is to God. Years ago, I was in a class that Mike Weaver uh, from the group Big Daddy Weave was teaching, and he said this regarding disobedience. He said, disobedience is the opportunity to experience God's sovereignty. And that really stuck with me. And boy, does Jonah get to experience God's sovereignty in this storm. And as we will see in the weeks to come, it's not his last opportunity. You know, so the sailors, they pray to their little g-gods in an attempt to appease whoever they need to appease so that this storm will just stop. And I can imagine, you know, it's pretty chaotic. They're throwing cargo, most likely their livelihood, overboard. Right now, survival is the only thing that matters. And there's Jonah, sleeping away. I mean, maybe he was exhausted from the travel, too exhausted to respond to what was happening. Maybe 
he felt justified in his actions. And he figured the storm would subside soon. Maybe he knew the storm was his consequence, so he just laid there and took it. Maybe he was so deep in ignoring God that he didn't wake up. We don't actually know. But it might be one reason. It might be many. But the point of the matter is he was definitely unplugged from God during this life-threatening situation. And one thing that we can learn from this is that when we justify being out of God's will, it will cause our heart to begin to move away from God. Tender hearts begin to harden when they justify wrong actions. Tender hearts begin to harden when they justify not doing the right thing. Doing wrong and avoiding doing right are both ways of being out of God's will. So remaining sensitive to God is necessary if we're going to respond to God in obedience. Rebellion definitely makes us insensitive to God's will in our lives. So it's important that we nurture our relationship with Jesus and to keep our hearts tender and our actions and attitudes in line with his will. Verse 6. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Now notice how God uses a pagan captain to get Jonah to pay attention. I mean, don't you just love it when God uses someone far away from God to bring you closer to him? And if we're not careful... We can miss this opportunity to see what God is doing just because we don't expect God to use them or that to get our attention. And God uses whatever it takes, thank goodness, to wake us up. Verse 7. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you and what, in what line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, as best we know, casting lots consisted of tossing colored rocks out onto a surface. And if one particular color landed towards someone or if all of the rocks landed away, except for one, towards someone, um, it was understood that this was that chosen person. So this shows us that God is in complete control of this entire situation. We know from this passage that God has caused the storm, and we will see next week how God uses the big fish. Right now, he uses casting lots to point to Jonah. This is not by chance. This is the Lord bringing his will to fruition and showing that he is sovereign over all things, including Jonah, the sailors, the storm, the casting of lots, and everything else. Again, God uses pagan sailors to focus the attention on Jonah. And they ask, who are you? What's your profession? Basically, they're trying to find out why is he the cause of their troubles? 
Jonah's response, you know, it really cracks me up. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Now, I don't know. I mean, I love water. I love the ocean. But I'm not sure that if I were a prophet whom God uses to speak to nations that I would choose to put myself in a boat in the middle of the ocean that God controls while I'm actively running from and deliberately disobeying him. I mean, this isn't even a close call on disobedience. This is big-time disobedience. But then I'm not much of a risk-taker. I'm also puzzled why Jonah claims that he worships God when he's already told the sailors he's running from God. I mean, how do you worship God and run at the same time? Again, it's easy to see in Jonah But it's not so easy to see in ourselves. It's easy to say, you know, I go to church, I believe in Jesus. We even say that we worship Jesus. Maybe we really get into the music on Sunday or whenever you're watching and we call that worship. It is worship. It's considered worship. The actual definition of worship is to feel adoring reverence or regard for, to render reverence and homage to. The worship that I am talking about here is a life of worship. I'm not referring to once a week experience. Are we actively putting our relationship with Jesus above all else in our lives? Are we willing to have our lives interrupted by investing in the most important relationship that we will ever experience? Now, Jonah has definitely had a lapse in worship. The truth of the matter is, If Jesus isn't first, then we're not truly worshiping him. Let's continue. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. And it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. So Jonah was running from God in disobedience. And his next impressive move is not to repent and ask God for forgiveness and change his plan. It's to increase his guilt by having the sailors throw him overboard. Now, although this action might end Jonah's current circumstances by causing his death, this action would place the blood on the hands of the sailors who are killing him. So now not only is he still guilty, he's bringing others into his sin. Sins like that. So how many of you are introverts? You know, meaning that you would rather recharge alone. That's how you recharge. Wow. Here's how the introverts do it. I see you. How many of you are extroverts and would rather recharge in a group? They go like this. Well, here's the deal. Sin is definitely an extrovert. Now, it begins as an introvert. It starts inside one person, gets them going, but sin does not stay there. It always affects others, either by enticing others to join the party 
or by the carnage of pain that it leaves behind. Sin always affects other people. It is never a one-man show. And at first glance, Jonah's move here can look sacrificial or martyr-like. But martyrs die for the glory of God, not to get out of obeying him. Now, Jonah can have credit for telling the sailors the truth, but he should have gotten on his knees and repented to God for his disobedience. He should have turned his butt around and gone straight to Nineveh. Anyway, it appears that the sailors have at least some conscience because they don't immediately toss Jonah overboard. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. Instead, the sailors row even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sins and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. So the sailors do what we often do first. They row even harder. They attempt to find a solution on their own, in their own strength. And once they realize it's futile, they cry out to the Lord. Not their little g-gods, but to the one and only God. The one who can actually do something about their situation. Now, moments ago, these sailors were praying to every little g-god they could think of, and now they're acknowledging the one true God. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Praise the Lord. The sailors have now moved from desperate prayers to vowing to serve the one true God. And, and I'm certain that there are some in this room who are watch, or who are watching online that haven't ha yet had the situation or experience or the desire that drives them to the place where they make a decision to follow God, to want to have a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we're in the desperate place, throwing things overboard, trying to lighten the ship in the storm, struggling on our own, trying to survive life. I am telling you, you don't have to do this alone. In God's relentless love, he offers himself as your rescue. He wants to desperately have a close, intimate relationship with you and with me. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. He wants to give you a new life. Now maybe you are a part of his family and you're more of a Jonah today. You're, you're more running. You're running in disobedience and you're not sure how to find your way back. Or maybe you know your way back and you're still running in the opposite direction. God loves you too. He wants your about face. He wants you to run toward him, not away. Humble yourself. Move toward God. 
And if you're in any of these categories, we're going to pray in just a, a few minutes. And I want you to take a minute and allow God to nudge you in any place that you are not giving him complete allegiance. You know, we just celebrated Independence Day. Now, although this holiday is about independence for our nation, I think we all have the tendency to want to or even believe that we can have freedom to govern our own journey in life. I mean, we don't mind following Christ as long as his path leads to the one that we've already carved out for ourselves. We want to run after our own dreams, select our own way, and our mode of transportation. We want to run our own schedule and our own time, and we want to be independent, even of God. So where are you in your declaration of independence? Following God's will has a way of revealing what we really mean when we say, my will, not my will, but yours be done. So let's take a couple of minutes for some quiet reflection. Now Chris is going to come up here and play a little bit for us in the background. I'm going to give you just a, a little bit of time for you to just reflect for a moment. Where's your stance on your independence? And then I'm going to pray. I want to pray for you and over you. So close your eyes and take a breath and take a moment. Relentless God, God of mercy that is beyond our understanding, grace that we don't deserve. You are not too merciful. And God, we have such a tendency to think we have the right to run our own lives. I guess hence the ditch then. <laughs> because oftentimes that's where we find ourselves is running off into the ditch. But God, you meet us. You meet us on the path of obedience and you will come after us in the ditch. So God, we thank you for that. I, I pray the power of your Holy Spirit over your people. I pray for our enemies, God, that are far from you, that we would have hearts to desire for them to be in relationship with you, that we would be able to put aside what gets in our way and embrace the fact that you love the Ninevites because we're them. 
So God, I just pray that this day you are touching every heart and soul in this room who's watching online. Do something new. Whatever we need, however it needs to happen, we give you permission, God, do something new in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Now we have one more verse. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. And that is where we will begin next week as we dive into chapter 2.